announcement that Brother Jason asked uh, when we get a whole lot of people together. If by chance your phone is hooked to the uh, to our wireless, if you can, just for the next little while, just flip that Wi-Fi off on your phone because uh, it, it's everything our Wi-Fi can do to stream this service. And uh, I don't ask them to do it during the singing because most musicians or singers are pulling up the words to the song. But uh, while the preaching's going, uh, if we can get that stream to not drag and lag and all that, it'll be more of a blessing to those watching at home. So uh, thank you for helping us that way. Put your hands together and bless the name of Jesus, would you? I started singing that last song, I thought, let's make it away from us tonight. Let me tell you about my Jesus. It's an older preacher. I don't know if he's still living maybe with the Lord now. A number of years ago, he preached a message that he titled, Everybody Ought to Know Who Jesus Is. Everybody. Doesn't matter if it's the drug dealer or the witch doctor with a bone through his nose. Everybody ought to know who Jesus is. And it ought to be our delight to say to those people, let me tell you about my Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was sure is going to get away from us. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday night. Uh, and at some point in the next little while, we'll reach the midway point of this service tonight. We'll also reach the midway point of the week. Amen. This meeting will be half over. Part of it will be history. Uh, and uh, as I said the other night, I've been telling churches this all, all year. Uh, you know, let's just hit the ground running. And let's just get into it. Amen. Bring everything out of it. We can give everything to it that we can. I like that first song they sang. Ain't no ordinary worships that how it goes. Ain't no ordinary song. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So good to see Brother and Sister Tolbert again. I didn't know that they'd be back. He didn't think they'd, they'd be able to make it, but so good to have them in the house of the Lord. Uh, the real giants uh, in Christendom are, are, are not the men mounting pulpits every night or, or singers. Uh, it's men like Brother Tolbert who has paid a heavy price over the years. Amen. Born the touch of God. Right. It's men like him that, uh, that are real giants and the real heroes right. uh, in the move of God. And so good to have them in the house. Lord, he could be anywhere. Uh, but we're, we're grateful uh, that he's with us in the house of the Lord uh, tonight. Well, you're finding the book of Judges, chapter 3. Book of Judges, chapter 3. I do appreciate Brother Corey uh, Brown. I, you know, I mentioned last night uh, a brother uh, at home that I said I love to watch him sing. And I found another brother that I love to watch sing. I love to watch Brother Corey sing. Amen. Hallelujah. Appreciate his spirit. I've, I've wanted to meet him for a long time. And uh, just very honored to have the opportunity to do that this week. Enjoy him being in ministry with Brother and Sister Hunt this week friends for, for many, many years, and uh, I appreciate the work that uh, he's doing. Uh, if you want to uh, hear him in the morning, uh, you would do yourself a favor to come and hear him preach the gospel, share that with us. Uh, I said to him uh, before we left 
uh, the room to come here, I said, the burden of preaching this gospel sometimes gets heavy. Amen. Uh, the, the, the tug of war that goes on in a man's heart and his mind and his spirit. Right. Uh, wrestling just to know what is it, God, you want me to say tonight? What, what is Amen. the will, the mind of God? And I've learned you, you have to get to the place that doesn't matter what all the voices are saying. You, you just find the mind of God and you preach that. Amen. Doesn't matter what, what voices are screaming at you. You just, you just mind them. Preach the word of God. That's what I want to do tonight. I want to share what I do believe uh, to be the mind of God for the next little while. If you find a room to say amen, I, I won't get nervous. Right. Don't bother me at all if you holler amen. If you shout with me, I, I just, I said to the Lord a little bit ago while we were singing and worshiping, they were singing, I mean, I think maybe the first song, uh, you know, in this moment, I'm, I'm going to just give him everything. Amen. I'm going to give him absolutely yes. everything. Uh, while you're standing with me all over this building, and there is a young man listening from uh, the West Monroe, Louisiana area. His name is JJ. I'd just like to say hello to him. Uh, he said to his uh, parents, he said, I want to hear my best friend uh, preach. And uh, they said, who's your best friend? He said, Brother Jimmy John, Brother JJ is what he calls me. So I'd just like to say hello to him. If you will go with me for the next little while, the book of Judges chapter 3, verse 16. I never like to start reading as long as I hear pages. If you're there, say Amen. If you're not, say wait. <laughs> Judges 3.16, But Ed made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit long, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. More to the story. I say this a lot nowadays. I'm, I'm operating under the assumption you know this story. Uh, if, if you don't know the story, I was in the church one time and a young lady uh, after church said to an older lady in the church, I don't know that story. She said, then honey, you go home and read it and read it and read it again until you do know the story. Uh, might be unfair to you if you aren't a student of the book or hadn't been uh, acquainted with the word of God very long. Uh, but listen, this will give you something to do later on. Just go back and read it. But if you'll notice this, but Ed made him a dagger for the next little while. I want to preach to you on this thought simply. The difference is in the dagger. Now, I can look at you and tell that don't mean a blessed thing. <laughs> but if you'll hang on with me, man, please don't mind it. Help us preach. You may be seated. Amen. Sit down. Please don't sit down on me. Help me for the next little while, if you will, please. Some Bible passages seldom, if ever, see the light of day. They are given such low profile or such a low profile uh, by attendees of the word of God, uh, yet they convey as great a truth as any. They pack as much power as any if they are mined diligently. Lack of mining is probably the reason a lot of uh, that, that book that never sees the light of day, never is conveyed across a, a holy desk such as this desk. But uh, the text that I've chosen tonight, uh, 
I believe this is just one of those texts just uh, never sees a great deal of the light of day. Few periods of history are so much uh, like our own as that of the book of Judges. Uh, at, at one moment you scale the peaks of glory and then the next you're plunging uh, to the depths of some swamp of sin. In its pages are some of the most exciting events in all of biblical history. And on the heels of that march, the, some of the saddest accounts of sinful disobedience and failure. There are people that traverse its pages who are very much like every one of us in this house tonight. People with God-given potential for greatness and an unfailing capacity for catastrophe. When they dare trust God, they were indeed people with hearts of iron. Amen. Doesn't matter who they were, the greatest heroes in that book, if they ever depended upon the flesh, then they were people who had feet of iron. Right, right. You've got to agree with me. Amen. One verse in the book of Judges has the ring of the 21st century about it to me. It reeks, it smells of the 21st century. Uh, that verse is simply, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Right, right. The book of Judges describes a time of moral and spiritual and ethical anarchy. A society without standards whose lifestyle is captured in that thoroughly modern phrase, every man did what was right Amen. in his own eyes. Right. Yet through it all, if you are acquainted with the book of Judges, through it all, the hand of God is found working in and through and despite yeah. the failures of his people. That is a thing that only God Almighty can do. No matter what man does, there won't be revival without God. No matter what God does, there won't be revival without man. God doesn't need it. Shout with me. God never sends revivals to birds or bears or honey badgers. He sends revival to men. He never sends revival to angels or seraphs or cherubs. He sends revival to men. We can't have revival without God. He won't have revival without us. God doesn't need it. The time of the judges, as you know, was uh, it was just a vicious cycle. There was rest, there was backsliding, there was bondage, and then there was deliverance, and it went over and over again. Israel's problem then, and the church's problem tonight, is anchored in one thing. It's a five-letter English word, flesh. Right, right. The great problem of our day is a flesh problem. Israel was in currently in this scripture was currently in bondage. They were in bondage to Eglon who was king of Moab and Eglon was a type of the flesh. In Bible numerology the number 18 represents bondage and Israel had been under bondage to Moab for 18 long years. Flesh rule always results in bondage. It results in multiplied bondage and layered bondage. Moab, uh, you know, wasn't 
wasn't alone. Uh, you know, the uh, conqueror of Israel. They brought in Ammon and Amalek, which added to their bondage, layered bondage and multiplied bondage. Together they took over Jericho, the city of palm trees. And that, that city, Jericho, uh, was a mirror of the world in its fragrance and its attractiveness. You gotta know. You gotta know that the devil is not gonna use anything that's not fragrant to attract you. He's not going to use anything uh, that isn't attractive to you uh, to, to attract you. Anybody hear what I'm saying? The first enemy, the very first enemy that God's people had to overthrow upon their entry into the promised land was Jericho. They had to conquer everything about that flesh that was pleasant, everything about that flesh that was attractive, everything about that flesh that was fragrant. Are you going to help me tonight? That was the very first thing that they had to conquer when they entered the promised land. Somebody called Moab and Ammon and Amalek of the trinity of evil. I submit to you tonight that at some point the church must grow weary and they must get sick and tired of the flesh and the resulting bondage of that flesh. Shout with me somebody. I, you know what I found out? I found out the flesh is not afraid of our programs. The flesh is not afraid of a packed out house on a Sunday morning. It's not afraid of an empty house on a Wednesday night. Shout with me somebody. But the church has got to get to the place that she's sick and tired of the flesh and the dominance of that flesh and the bondage of that flesh. Somebody shout amen with me in this house. We have got to grow tired of that. In a time when flesh is on a rampage and has no bridle, God has to raise up somebody. Uh, you know, in, in Judges 3, he did that. Such people like Ed had to be raised up by God. This generation needs an Ed, needs somebody that is sick and tired of the status quo, has a hunger inside them for a move. Is there anybody under this roof tonight that's tired of the flesh and wants to see the power of God the way they saw it in the book of Acts. Anybody in this house a candidate? God, if you're looking for an Ian, you just found me. If you're looking for somebody, you can raise up. You just found me. Raise your hands all over the house and give God a mighty glory in this place. One of the reasons that God could raise Ian up is because Ed had become exasperated. That's just a highfalutin word that means intensely irritated. Uh, he was frustrated. The word means to show strong feelings of irritation or annoyance. Uh, you're annoyed because you can do nothing to solve your problem. Anybody ever been there? Just get aggravated because you can't solve the problem. I preached the message, been a number of years ago now, and I titled the message, This Ain't Your Daddy's Church. Preached it in a camp meeting, and the night I preached the following night, our state overseer 
came and everybody uh, was talking about the message and he said to me, I, I want to get a copy of that. Uh, when I got up to preach, uh, I, I recognized him and I turned around and said, Bishop, I don't think you want that one. I don't think you want that one. Somebody, somebody heard the message. Either they were there or heard a recording of it. They were talking to somebody else and the, the, the message came up and that person said, you know, I, he, he preached like he was bitter. He, he preached like he was angry. Uh, said uh, men ought to preach with love. You know, they, uh, they, they ought to preach with compassion. Uh, well, listen, I've never gotten up and preached angry. I, I've never preached bitter. Anybody hear what I'm saying? I, I've never done that. Uh, here's what I'm trying to tell you, though. Sometimes uh, when a man uh, preaches the word and, and says what he says, even as gentle as he can say it, some folks take it wrong. Uh, you know, they said to Billy Sunday one time, said, Billy, you're rubbing the cat the wrong way. You, you're rubbing the fur the wrong way. He said, no, I'm not. Tell the cat to turn around. If you think I'm rubbing the cat the wrong way tonight, tell the cat to turn around. Shout with me, somebody. You gotta get to the place that you know that you know that the will of God is greater than the feelings of people. Shout with me, somebody. And you know what I've determined? They can say you preach bitter and you preach angry if they want to. But when I've heard from God, I know better than anybody when I've heard from God. Shout with me, somebody. Peter Cartwright was in a meeting preaching on a Sunday. Place was full, and somebody came up to him and said to him, President Andrew Jackson is in the congregation this morning. Be guarded in your remarks. When Mr. Cartwright took the pulpit, he said, they tell me that Andrew Jackson is here this morning. Didn't even give him the benefit of being present. said, they tell me that Andrew Jackson is in the building this morning. He said, if Andrew Jackson doesn't repent, he's going to hell. People's mouths dropped open. They looked around at one another like, what's going to happen now? Peter Cartwright preached at the end of the message. The president walked up to him, shook his hand, and said to him, if I had a regiment like you, I could whip the world. Shout with me, somebody. Let me tell you, folks, the flesh has made great enough inroads into the church. Somehow or other, we've got to get to the place. We know that the word and the spirit and the power of God is what we need to conquer flesh in every display, in every manifestation. Does anybody believe what I'm saying tonight? God do help me. This comes from a Baptist preacher and author. This is what he said. He said the church has been taken over by and large by those who profess Christianity but who have no relationship with Christ and who are governed by a great deal of carnality. Well, to that I just simply say, amen. 
I want to deal with Eglon just a little bit. The king of Moab, his, his name simply, simply means calf-like. Some have said, you know, it just simply means animal-like. It means meaty. You know the Bible said he was a very fat man. But Eglon, his name means meaty. And he was referred to in one verse as their Lord. You know, he's a fat, repulsive king. He's the picture of flesh ruling. Go with me here. He represents the flesh, the sworn enemy of the spirit. Anything, uh, you know, that can choke a service, that can choke a walk with God, that can choke a church. It is the flesh. The flesh can put a chokehold on everything. Uh, he represents the flesh fully indulged. Yeah. Now, you know, that that's just a, that's just the soft way of saying he's fat. He represents the flesh fully indulged. Anything that flesh wanted, it got. Anything he craved, it was given to him. Anything he desired, that's what he got. I'm telling you folks, it's the stranglehold on the move of God. If we cater to the flesh above the desire of the spirit, it'll put a chokehold on the move of God. He represents the flesh fully indulged. He represents flesh that has waxed powerful to the point he's called king and lord. Shout with me. To the point he's called king and lord. Listen, he represents the flesh in all that is gross. He represents the flesh that is so nourished it has become fat and bloated and you can't miss it. All you got to do is look. Brother Hughes, Dr. Hughes, great leader in the church of God with the Lord now died when he's about 84 years old he said he said once upon a time he said the church has become fat and muscle bound All right. fat and muscle bound there were three of these enemies the first I want to refer to is, is Ammon Ammon represents the restlessness of the flesh right. in just two nights of drunkenness and incense, Lot spawned two of the most terrible foes of the people of God, Ammon and Moab. Lot was the great backslider of his day. The Ammonites were more hostile than the Moabites. They represent that sinful world's open and undisguised hostility to God's people. You know, in America, we've gone a long time without real persecution. We're on the threshold of that right now. I said, we're on the threshold of real persecution in this nation right now. Uh, when, when, when the politicians are saying there ought to be a drag queen for every school, we are in trouble. When men will stand in our streets and they'll scream, we love killing babies, we are in trouble. When young girls will stand on the street and they'll scream, we love killing babies, we are in trouble. When senators will say there's no place for prayer in a meeting like this we are in trouble when they want to take away our tax exempt status simply because we oppose the flesh anybody hear what I'm saying tonight I came by here to tell you folks it ain't as bad as it's gonna be but Ammon represents the, the, the relentlessness of the flesh he represents undisguised 
hostility toward God's people. See, the Ammonites were nomads. Let me tell you what happens when folks sit in a good ministry and hear good preaching, and then they decide, this ain't what I want. All right. They become like a rolling stone. Church to church to church. We have down our, our denomination been a number of years ago now. He was pastoring the church of God and then uh, you know we went from the bad uh, the church of God to pastoring the Baptist church I was told and then he finally wound up with the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, which is what his wife's was. Uh, th this is what I'm saying to you. If you don't deal with the flesh that flesh is of a restless nature. It will go from one ministry to another ministry, from one church to another church. You know, they don't just backslide away from church. They keep coming. They still act religious, but they don't settle in one church. It's from church to church and ministry to ministry. And they chase prayer line after prayer line. They chase crowd after crowd. All because there is a restlessness. I said relentlessness, but there's a restlessness of the flesh. The flesh cannot just settle down. Strong preaching is more than they can tolerate. It is stronger than their palate can put up with. Does anybody hear me? But they just become restless and they'll be from church to church to church to church. I know I mentioned that the other night, but this is a good place to say it. So Ammon represents the restlessness of the flesh. Uh, the, the next the next enemy that is a type of the flesh is Amalek. Amalek represents the relentlessness of the flesh. All right. Amalek, you, you remember Amalek, one of the first times we see them, uh, they, they swooped down after, after Moses brought water out of a rock. Now, you know, for a long, long time, I thought that maybe uh, the rock that he, that, that he smote uh, might have been may, maybe as big as this podium. I, you know, I've been doing some thinking of late. I, I just kind of believe that rock had to be bigger than that. Because when, when Moses smote the rock, I, I read it again today, water came out in sufficient amount that every one of them, every one of the people that came out of Egypt, some estimate as many as three million of them, every one of them could drink. And then every animal they had could drink. I got a feeling that the rock that, uh, that, that just bled water was larger than this right here. If you read the book of Psalms, uh, the, the, the writer said that rivers of water came out of that rock. Shout tomorrow, let me preach tonight. Rivers came out. Now, now that leads me to the next thing. I always thought that Hamlet swooped down after the water stopped running. All right. I'm just wondering, did it? Did the water ever stop running? Why would Amalek attack if there ain't nothing to get? I believe that Amalek, a type of the flesh, attacked while the water is still running out of that rock. Shout tomorrow. I'm just saying to you tonight, folks, that flesh will move in to shut down everything that the Spirit of God is doing. It'll move in to put a chokehold on everything that the power of God has wrought. 
Amalek is a type of the flesh. And then God pronounced a curse upon Amalek. If you read it and don't pay attention, you, you th you, you'll think God cursed Israel. God didn't curse Israel. That's right. God cursed Amalek. He said he, speaking of Israel, will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. What's that mean? That means you and I are going to fight and win and fight and win and fight. Anybody hear what I'm saying to you? It'll be an ongoing battle. There'll be no armistice. There'll be no peace treaty. There'll be no compromise. There's going to be war. And God said he'll make war with Amalek from generation to generation. You will have an ongoing battle with the flesh. But God has said you'll have victory and you'll go into another battle and you'll have victory from generation to generation. He represents the relentlessness of the flesh. Amen. Glutton for punishment. Right, right. Keeps coming back for more. And then Moab represents the religiousness of the flesh. The Moabites were more settled. They were more civilized than the Ammonites. And they represent the world's hospitality to the people of God. Now the world's a dangerous place, always has been a dangerous place for believers, but it's never more dangerous than when it offers the right hand of fellowship and friendship to the church. All right, all right. And they can come in and settle in, feel comfortable, Preaching ain't never got no barb in it. They never feel an ounce of conviction. They never weep when the preaching uh, is proclaimed. They never feel that the, 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 the wrath of God's going to fall on them. Shake the pastor's hand going out the door. I enjoyed that this morning, Pastor. I draw up if I know a person's lost. And they tell me on the way out, they tell me I enjoyed that preacher. Anybody hear what I'm saying? The most dangerous flesh is flesh that shows hospitality to the people of God. Oh, it's all right. This ain't so bad after all. See, you don't feel any conviction. You, you, you did, you're not falling into hell. Anybody hear what I'm saying? The greatest danger, the greatest, the most dangerous flesh is that flesh that says, see, everything's all right. Adam and Eve bit into that fruit. That flesh assured them everything's all right, but the light went out. They didn't fall graveyard dead, but the light went out. Anybody hear what I'm saying to you? The flesh will lull you to sleep thinking everything is all right when the flesh, Brother Clendenin said, the flesh is no misunderstood friend. He said it's not a redhead stepchild of the family reunion. Ammon and Amalek and Moab, all types of the flesh. And then we come to Ed. Ed was a left-handed man. 
And that speaks to you and me of our own inability to do anything about the flesh. I know, I know you, you have to wade through that, but it might not understand, but just give me a minute here. It represents how God gives victory to his people over the flesh. Listen, 18 years had gone by. He'd been under that bondage. At the end of 18 years, something happened, and God sent victory. God sent victory, threefold victory. He, through Ed, he sent personal victory. Right. He's the one that went to Eglon's palace. So God gave him personal victory. And then God gave public victory. The whole land enjoyed victory. And then God gave prolonged victory. After Ed had killed Eglon, they had 80 years of peace. Anybody hear what I'm saying to you? You can't have corporate victory. You can't have public victory until first you have private victory. How in the world can you have victory in the church if you don't have victory in yourself? Does anybody hear me? It can, first of all, it is a public or a private victory, a personal victory over the flesh. And that becomes public. And then that becomes prolonged. He was left-handed. That seems to have been a peculiar trait of the tribe of Benjamin. Many of them left-handed. Very skilled, very, very accurate. Left-handed, but it's a peculiar trait. Because you know that the name Benjamin means son of my right hand. Well, it has been suggested that Ed had no right hand. All right. For whatever reason, some believe it's possible he had no right hand. All he had was his left. Some have suggested that his right hand was withered, weak, shriveled, so he had to use his left hand. Still there are those who, who say that he tied his right hand to his body. And used his left hand until he was as skilled with his left hand as he was with his right. As a matter of fact, some referred to Ed as a man with two right hands. He was so good with each. But the Bible said he was a left-handed man. In the Hebrew, uh, left-handed means constricted as to his right hand. The left hand is synonymous with weakness. You and I have no strength against the flesh in ourselves. We are left-handed. We have no strength against the flesh. That's the reason, you know, I don't know what you believe, don't, don't matter. I'm just going to throw this out. That's the reason. It's easy to preach generational curse. All right. Come on. You know, every, every child had an alcoholic daddy, didn't grow up an alcoholic. That's right. And every girl had a prostitute mama, didn't grow up a prostitute. That's right. I didn't come to split hairs over that. I am telling you that because we are left-handed, we have no strength against the flesh. That's the reason that folks fall under the, the, the power.
born of habits and, and you name it, born in sin, shaped in iniquity. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just saying, the left hand uh, speaks of weakness on the part of humanity. Some in the right hand, that suggests power and position and favor. But left-handed speaks of being unpopular and, uh, you know, unusual and abnormal and unexpected. Uh, you know, uh, we have no power. I'm saying to you that God, special matter of fact, they tell me there was a time in history uh, when no self-respecting warrior would ever use his left hand. All right. Never would. Always was a right a right-handed warrior fought with the right hand. Here's what I want to tell you though. God specializes in using and doing the unorthodox and the unusual and the overlooked. Shout with me. It doesn't matter that because of the flesh we are left-handed. God specializes in using the unorthodox. God specializes in using the unusual. I dare you to praise him tonight. I said I dare you to praise him tonight. God Almighty will take a man made of flesh and give him victory over that flesh. Oh, Lord. For the first 18 years, or the 18 years, the entire 18 years, under Eglon, nothing had happened. I, I know you don't know what I mean, but, but if you hang on. Ead, E-H-U-D, Ead means simply he who praises. The word Ead is a form of the word Judah. Everybody recognizes that. The word simply means to praise. 18 years ago, Othniel, the brother of Caleb, his name means Lion of God. It means powerful man of God. 18 years ago, that lion disappeared. 18 years ago, that power disappeared. And for 18 years now, there's been no power among the people of God. But after 18 years, something began to stir in the land of Israel. Shout with me, somebody. That, listen, they had praise teams that never broke any yoke. They sung praise songs that never brought any conviction. Shout with me, somebody. It was praise this and praise that and praise the other, but nobody has ever changed. And he had said something has got to give. You see, what they had not had in 18 years, they had praise. But what they didn't have for 18 years was armed praise. All y'all can shout tomorrow, that's all. But if you stand up, that hits right there. The Bible says, Ed made him a tiger. What he did was, for the first time in two decades, they armed praise. All right. All right. 
They had praise with no power. They had praise with no metal. They had praise that could not fight. They had praise that was as limp as a disrag. But after 18 years of bondage under Eglon, I'm telling you that he had said, that's enough. We gotta change things around here. So what he did was, he made him a dagger and he earned praise for the first time in 20 years in the land of Israel. He made him a dagger. And I, can I tell you the story? Thank you. I bought a VHS tape in a lot of years ago now. I guess back in the 90s. It's when Perry Stone was having meetings in Pigeon Forge. And this VHS was of the singers he'd had in his camp meeting over the years. There was John Starnes and a guy I knew her name just forgot, Karen Wheaton, Karen Wheaton, Willis Canada, you know, other, other big names. Uh, we were watching the video, listening to the singing, and it was just John Starnes and Karen Wheaton and Willis Canada, whoever else. But there was a little woman. There was a little woman wore glasses and she's a little cockeyed. Don't mean that to be it, just stating the truth. And one shoe was built up like that because one leg was shorter than the other. You could look at her, and I say this very respectfully. You just knew she's no Janet Pascal. But I can't tell you what Karen Wheaton sang. I can't tell you what John Starn sang. I don't know what Willis Canada sang. But I can tell you what that little woman say. She's standing on that stage. She don't do a whole lot of moving because she got that built up shoe. I looked around while she was singing and everything in my house was crying. Tears running down everybody's face. I just knew. I just knew she's had an encounter with him. Her song was, it always makes a difference. When Jesus passes by. Hallelujah. While she's singing that, he passed by my place. Walked through my living room. Everything in my house started crying. We had visitors there. I wanted them to hear that little woman. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Every other song had no metal in it. Every other song had no steel in it. But when that little woman started singing, I'm telling you folks, there was metal in her song. There was steel in her singing. It was sharp. I'm telling you folks, it cut me to the depths of my existence. Praise with a point. Praise with an edge. Praise with some metal in it. Now if I appear, I'm not worried about time. That's because I ain't. And my brother had. I've been here long enough. I'm in my element now. So how 
How do you come by a dagger? How, how do you come by a dagger? Well, first of all, you got to have metal. You got to have the right metal. Not aluminum. Got to have the right metal. And so he had found the right metal. Once you find the metal, then you gotta have fire. That's right. Yes, sir. You gotta have heat. Amen. That's the reason some folks don't hang around long under good preaching. Too much heat. Shout with me, somebody. If you read the story of Paul on the island of Melita, whenever he's picking up those sticks, the Bible said he threw the sticks and apparently the viper into the fire. But if you read your Bible, the Bible never says that the viper came out of the fire. It says he came out of the heat. Oh, shout tomorrow. I'm just saying to you folks, you can say a lot about fire. I've even heard of false fire. I heard of a cat one time that froze to death in front of an artificial fireplace. Looked like fire. Made a noise like fire. But the cat froze to death in front of an artificial fireplace. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. It's the heat that makes the dagger is the heat that tempers the thing. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Let me tell you, whatever believer needs, every believer needs to be the metal on a pew under some man of God. They need to sit there when he turns up the heat. Shout with me somebody when he's heard from God or right out of an altar and he's blowing smoke when he walks to the pulpit. Every believer needs to sit under a man of God that just wants Walk away from the fiery presence of the Almighty. Metal, fire, and then you need a third thing. You need a hammer. You need a hammer. You get that metal hot enough. That's the reason they moved down the street to the church ain't got nothing. Anybody hear what I'm saying to you? I've never loved preaching any more than when a man turned up the heat and took that gospel hammer and started beating me in the shape. Come on, somebody. That listen, he won't mad with me. He just wanted me to make a man of God. Shout with me, somebody. What you need is a man of God who knows what he's doing. He knows when to turn up the heat. And he knows when to pull out that hammer. And he knows where to pound. He knows where to hit. He knows how often to hit. Shout me down, somebody. Hey, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. When he beats that metal thin enough, you got to have something else. You got to have a whetstone. A lot of folks never get to that grinding part. 
Because they're not going to stand the heat and they're not going to put up with the pounding. But if you, can, if you can endure all of that shaping, that pounding, that heating, and in the hands of a skilled man, he moves that metal on that whetstone, takes away the excess, takes away what's not going to help you anyway, takes away what keeps you from having an edge in your life, keeps you from having an edge in your testimony, keeps you from having an edge in your prayer life, keeps you from having an edge in your song, your sinner body, hearing the man of God tonight. You gotta endure all. If there's gonna be metal in our singing, if there's gonna be metal in our testimony, somebody has gotta submit to the hammer, to the heat, and to the wet stone. Y'all gonna jump in, you better, it's just about over. All right. He, he made himself a dagger. Some scholars say it's 18 inches long. Some say it's from your elbow to the tip of your finger. See, I can't stop now because hadn't dealt with the flesh yet. If, if, as I understand it, I'm supposed to speak to you. And you're supposed to listen to me. That's right. If you get finished listening before I get finished speaking, just raise your finger like that. All right. Come on. Don't holler all you want to. I ain't preaching until 12 tonight. He took that, that left-handed man, took that 18-inch dagger and tied it to his right thigh because he was part of an entourage that was to take a present to Eglon, king of Moab, a type of the flesh. Right, right. So they took the present to Eglon and they're all leaving. And he had got as far as the quarry, some say, he saw all those idols, and it's more than he could stand. He turned around and went back to Eglon's place by himself. All right. Got to Eglon's place, and this is what he said to Eglon. I have a message to you from the Lord. All right. Now, he's in the summer house. Many believe that's just a glorified outhouse. <laughs> and when he had said, I've got a message to you from the Lord. Eglon stood up. He should have stayed down. All right. When he stood up, he took his left hand and pulled that dagger from his right thigh. Before I finish preaching that. How'd that happen? How in thunder did he get in to the king? With a dagger on his thigh. And that day, 
every soldier, most every soldier was right-handed. He carried his sword on his left side. So apparently they patted down his right side. He's clean. Send him on in. What they did not expect was that God was going to use the unusual and God was going to use the unorthodox and God sent a left-handed man into the king's house who took his left hand and pulled a dagger from his right thigh. Listen, here is where the story gets really interesting. He doesn't negotiate with the flesh. He doesn't toy with the flesh. He doesn't pamper the flesh. He doesn't threaten the flesh. He draws that dagger and drops it. The Bible said he thrusts it into Eglon's belly. Here's what he did, folks. He didn't stop until he killed the flesh. Shout with me. He didn't stop until Eglon was no longer Lord over him. He didn't stop until Eglon was no longer king over him. I feel something moving in this place. I may not preach what the who tomorrow night, but I feel the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. The reason a lot of folks pamper the flesh and toy with the flesh and make excuses, and in the Pentecostal church, we become like other denominations, but we say, well, you know, we fail every day, we sin every day. If you sin every day, you're a sinner. You sin every day, you sin. I'm not suggesting you can't sin. John said, I write unto little children, I write unto you. But you sin not. But if, he didn't say when you sin. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I was preaching in church one time, actually, my cousin's church. Uh, there was a couple of ladies there, one of them, uh, well, they both taught Sunday school. Uh, and, and I'd quoted Brother Clinton so much. Uh, they wanted to know who is this? Who is this Clinton? And so I told them, uh, you know, I told them where they could find them. And I said to, to them, I said, when you hear him preach, he leaves you nothing but Jesus to hold on to. I don't know what happened with that. I ain't heard no more from them about Brother Clendenin. Here, here's what I'm saying to you folks. I'm saying to you tonight, it's late in time. We are living on the eve of the rapture. Shout with me somebody. The trumpet's gonna sound and the church is gonna be caught out of here. But we cannot be found playing and toying with the flesh. He never toyed with Eglon. He drove that dagger into his belly and the Bible said the dirt came out. Some scholars said that species, I'm telling you, the flesh is full of filth and pollution. It is not something that the church should play with. When Eglon's men came in, they came to that summer house, doors locked. And they were embarrassed, you know. They, they want some me time, so they wait. They wait till they're embarrassed. 
Doors locked, can't get in. They go get a key. When they opened the door, the Bible said Eglon was fallen down dead. He didn't play with that flesh that had mastered him for 18 years. He took a dagger with metal, two edges, and a sharp point. And he thrust that flesh through with that dagger. And for the next 80 years, they had peace. Yes. Musicians will come. Other things I could say, but I think I've said enough. I've, I've discovered that the flesh will whine and pine and complain. A lot of years ago now, I was listening to Brother Schambach preach. A lot of church folks start out in the morning to fast. They're driving through town, windows are down. They smell that Big Mac at McDonald's. They feel that hunger. He said they'll turn into that drive-thru. And the first thing they'll say is, God didn't want me to have it anyway. Talking about whatever it was they were fasting for. God didn't want me to have it anyway. That flesh will say, eight hours into that fast, you ain't got to be that far, but eight hours into it. Head's hurting, but do something better eat something. That flesh of wine. Take something away from it. No, we're, 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 not, we're not watching TV while we're fasting the next five days. All that flesh of wine. No, we're, we're, we're not checking Facebook for five days. That flesh of wine and pine. Everybody with me? Amen. Y'all got real quiet. My flesh ain't never pouted over an abstinence from chocolate. I'm a meat and potatoes man. I'm not throwing stones at anybody or anything, but I'm just saying. Be fasting chocolates today. But indulge in everything else. Going to a, I went to a church in January one number of years back, and they were starting a, a Daniel fast. Hell, I won't own no fast. After church, we had to, they had to decide where we were going to go eat so they could eat. They couldn't eat dairy, and they couldn't eat meat, and couldn't eat cheese, you know, all that stuff. Daniel fast. So they decided, they said, you like chilies? I said, yeah, I like chilies. We'll go to chilies. We went to chilies about every night. Now they, they, they couldn't get no steak and they couldn't get no hamburger, but they could get chips and salsa. 
You never saw chips and salsa disappear so quick in your life. I said, dear God, I could eat, I could fast like this a year and never get hungry. My point is just simply this. That drives no dagger into that flesh. Stand with me all over this house. You, you, you would just have to agree with me tonight that nobody from here to the right side, left side, back side, nobody's exempt. What I preach tonight affects every one of us in this house. Everybody. Everybody. Eglon, a type of the flesh fully indulged 18 years he was lord and king. And Ed had had enough. Don't know where you are, don't know how things are in your walk. But if you're under this roof and taking a look at you, just observing you. If you are sick and tired of flesh, whether it's Eglon, Ammon, Amalek, Moab, Jericho, it doesn't matter. If you are a work in progress, you're sitting under some good ministry somewhere. That man of God's going to turn up the heat in his preaching sometime. It will get hot. And he will take out that hammer. If you stay long enough, there'll come a time he'll use that grindstone. In this house, I just wonder if you'd come. Don't happen very often. I'd like to see it tonight, Wednesday night, great crowd, I'm glad you're here. But I just wonder if every believer that can, if your body will allow you. I wonder if every believer in this house will just feel these odors. And I'm not asking you to come pray for anybody else but you. Just come pray for you. I want you to bring yourself, your struggle, your flesh, your fight, your battle. I want you to come. It's a time tonight to thrust a dagger into Eglon, that fat, overindulged king of flesh. Would you come all over this house? Would you just begin to talk to him? They want to sing something. Would you just begin to talk to God tonight? Hallelujah.